I'd just like to offer a recap or something of this to perhaps um, place again some of these references um, which may be slightly unusual but I did refer to um, different fields and the reason why because uh, um, that's actually how it is but uh, what the average person will tend to experience is themselves and something that they are witnessing, watching, touching, tasting, hearing, thinking. So they experience a duality. Uh, one aspect called myself and there's everything else. You know. uh, and that setup, which is normal of course, um, is a problem. In it, its very structure is a problem. Because the relationship uh, of the self, uh, this self-experience, and and um, what it takes as other than itself must always set up some kind of um, wanting. You know, <laughs> uh, I want to have that, or I want to get away from it. I I own it, or I possess it, or how am I? Uh, a dissonance occurs in that. And particularly unwholesome tendencies start to arise in the aspect we call myself. Which is to um, seek something, have something, gain something, stop something. And so it sets up this dissonant current in experience. And the self feels essentially rather besieged at times or alone at times or struggling at times to come to terms with what it's experiencing. Mm. This very setup is uh, an illusion. Mm. Since the self cannot be, although it's a definitely a, a felt experience, cannot be said to exist independently of what it's experiencing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it doesn't exist independently of what it's experiencing. Mm. So it's not really an independent self. Therefore, why bother to use the term? It's a particular factor arising in a much, uh, in a total field. Mm. 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 So fields are, you know, a bodily field, yeah, a mental field. These are examples of it. Um, and then these are just factors arising, such as sensations, energies, feeling um, just welling up around there and also um, um, energies such as uh, a lot of volitional energies wanting uh, organizing making checking balancing fixing uh, you know lots of volitional stuff happening in that in the mental field mm. And these volitional qualities are called sankara, and they're very—they are the real potentizers. So you have all this stuff floating around, you could say, and then what really gives it the charge is some th this volitional quality, which is selecting, uh, fascinating, repelling, uh, trying to make something happen. It's sending a particular creative force into that mix, mm. but that's part of what's there 
is this sankara quality, which is a certain volitional wishing, wanting, resisting, um, not necessarily unwholesomely, but you know it could be wishing for the good. But this char- sends a particular volitional charge into that mix, and it, things start to take shape. Mm. So when the volition to have something arises, then suddenly what clusters are all desirable objects start forming around that. <laughs> yeah. uh, when there's things we, f- when this volition has got a negative charge in it, then all these nuisances start clustering around it. All the things I don't like start happening. You know, it potentizes the disagreeable, or it potentizes the the desirable, or it potentizes the worryable. If I've got a worry sankara put that in the mix and all the things I can worry about start clustering. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like a seed crystals. You put a crystal, you've got a super saturated solution, you drop a crystal in and it, the whole thing forms in that shape, these potencies. And it's very convincing, very immediate. So these, yes, look, I really told these to worry about, you know. Um, and and in, in that Sankara, that volitional quality um, generates, one of its things, it generates a sense of a self. It forms kind of in the, in the shadow of that. There's the, the wishing, and then the wishing uh, generates, as it, as it occurs, kind of generates somebody who wants to have. There's this kind of shadow effect, ripple effect. It's not that I want something, wanting creates a desirable and that which desires. These are all in the field of the mind. And it's all in it. There's no, there's nothing outside it. There's nobody trying to make it work. Uh, that's in the in the mix. Mm. So when we begin to at least theoretically understand that, we're particularly, you know, with our wilderness training, we're particularly on the lookout for these volitional tendencies, these sankara tendencies. Just you know, because they're going to start making realities occur. They're going to start creating a world for us. You know, you drop one of those in and all this stuff crystallizes around it. The worryable, the things I feel gloomy about, despondent about, there they all are. I'm in a world of that. Mm. So we're very, we want to be really attuned to that because this definitely creates, potentizes a world that then you know, the one who is generated feels overwhelmed by it. Uh, and, and then I, then this self that gets generated, feeling overwhelmed, uh, carries also the, the, um, you know, um, the volitional tendency to try to be managing it all and then failing. 
So the self is always have a, has a certain wounded quality to it. Now in our uh, experience then we have the, these mental fields which are to do with perceptions, that is meanings, impressions, um, um, the friendly, the hostile, the you know, things that have meaning for us. As perceptual stuff occurs and direct qualities of the agreeable tones, senses of uplift, enjoyable qualities, that's there in the mind, in the mental field. Um, disagreeable ones, perceptions, feelings, um, and these volitional tendencies or activations, or mm, right? they're called sankara, and they they're the ones you have to be very tuned to because they're the ones that that uh, will generate seemingly solid realities that then, as they solidify, they form a self who is in a rather um, difficult relationship with them. (laughs) Now with the stilling of those sankharas, the cooling of it, the sense of the self also becomes less intense. It cools, it becomes more amorphous, more uh, lighter. Mm. It becomes something like uh, uh, concern or sensitivity. Mm. Responsibility rather than obligation. Mm. So there is this... all this is in the field of the mind, as as a human mind has a um, certain innate qualities, such as it's has a as it rises up, it has a certain aspiration, a certain motivation quality, a seeking for harmony. Uh, it has an ethical quality, um, that which seeks balance and harmony, and to feel, you know, integrate into the world. So it does have this a certain sense of an organizational attunement, like it seeks for the welfare. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and but then when these these tendencies take these tendencies these sankharas take over, um, it can becomes trying to control things, um, trying to stop things, trying to have things. It it, it it loses, it becomes too, uh, too, too solid and inflexible until it pops out rather like a hernia. <laughs> you know, it kind of, then it feels strangled because it just, you know, it pops out of the, tries to pop out of the universe and get away from it all. And it's very uncomfortable. And then the, the, the loneliness and the, I can't, my world doesn't fit anymore, I can't do anything, I'm hopeless, I'm useless. It's extremely unpleasant um, experience. Mm. So in our practice then we are really, you know, really opening to embrace all of that in the field. 
and why because because we can't you cannot you know fix or or solve the problem with the same mindset that generated it you know the state of consciousness that generates a separate self cannot resolve the problem of the separate self because the, the separate self is the problem or the key to the to the key of the problem. So we begin to say what will what will help to allay the sense of the separate self or to just to be included. All of the tangle, the grogginess, the struggling, just to include it all. Mm-hmm. We don't enjoy it all, we don't like it all, but we are we are getting our, our awareness to sense all of that as it happens. And here we're using the body as something that will give us, give the mind a certain grounding, a certain steadying effect, so that we can, you might say, we hold our minds in our bodies. We feel, you know, the energies of our emotions, uh, you know, and we have this sense of the bodily holding presence with that, like a witness. Feel that sense of the steady breathing, grounded body with space around it, just being there as the mind is kind of struggling, and you you can also sense that presence, and just holding the two together. Mm. Now there are two the two other uh, as fields I mentioned was the the field of Dhamma, and this is. Um, this is also sankharas. These are um, transpersonal sankharas. These are sankharas that lead to liberation. The flavor of all the dhamma field is a liberating tendency, so that we potentize around goodwill. So let's just send a current of goodwill to all this sense of may the, the, the ceasing to resist, the non-aversion, the uh, um, the blessing. The, the loving, the embracing, the healing, the sense of putting balm onto the the wound, you know, not criticizing it all the time, more compassionate. So we send, you can send this, potentize around this, you know, however it manifests. It doesn't mean we like things, it means that we do not generate the quality of ill will and rancor, yeah. There's a sense of acceptance, patient, loving acceptance of that. Mm. So this is, you know, a very one one example of a of a particular aspect of the Dhamma field. And of course, the Buddha presented a whole many many of them. Mm. But this one is particularly pertinent naturally is the whole atmosphere within which we practice. We are practicing for our welfare Mm. with the understanding if I get a little bit more sane and grounded there's a good chance I could help somebody else. If I don't get this sorted out I'm a disaster. So you know (laughs) let's be pragmatic. You know you drown you can't drag anybody else out of the muck. So get this one clear and naturally, the way that the chitta is, it tends to 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 um, 
radiate and permeate and, and touch whatever uh, we, it comes into contact with. So the qualities of the healthy chitta will, be, will make their presence felt, um, you know, as we can feel. So this is the potency of the dhammas, dhamma practices. Mm. And just to to just to, to reiterate that it's not like here am I shoveling metta in all directions, but just even bringing up and revering. So this is what puja is about. We we just select a quality of Buddha like Mahakaruna, Metta Karuna. We just or visualize or sense that the blessing gesture, uh, the the open spaciousness, the un the unflagging compassion of a Buddha, you know, who kept kept it going till his last breath to serve when he had no need to. <laughs> uh, you know, and that that unflagging. That's cool, steady offering of sympathy and compassion. So we meditate like that. You you bear that in mind. You venerate that quality. So this is where you you, you take selected dhammas and honor them. So they become quite, they're not just thoughts. They become real palpable um, experiences, you know, that, that have deep meaning for us. And then... You sit in that and you breathe in that. And some of the qualities of that begin to be f- really felt in the heart. And they, you know, we, when we are touched, we feel those. And so you, you using puja and using recollection to take what's conceptual, loving kindness, good idea. Okay, let's really make that something that's a bit stronger than just an idea. Uh, feel it in the heart. How does that feel when that came to you? When goodwill was shown to you? When forgiveness was shown to you? When people said, oh, it doesn't matter, that's okay, was shown to you. Mm. Or let me help you, was shown to you. And whenever you are able to manifest that, you take those instances and linger on them, they become great. This is the power of the mind, the power of attention, what you linger on becomes great. And you dwell upon it. And then carrying that, you begin to get, then you've potentized that quality and you're putting that into the mind field. Now, so this is, so this also affects the body because the the energies of the, of the mind are embodied that is the the the, um, the stress of the mind creates bodily tension you know, the confusion of the mind creates bodily confusion and so forth so the more that you deeply take these qualities in and breathe them and you just, you just as you're feeling the quality of goodwill, just notice how your breathing is, how your body is, and, gen- and turn that attitude towards your body, any aspect of your body, the, f- the feeling tone, the muscles, um, 
you know, like you really want to accept and be with that and and um, listen to it and open to it, your body begins to relax and some of its stress ceases and the quality that gives tremendous um, gravity and strength to the men- what this experience, say for example, experience of goodwill, becomes much more than just an idea. Becomes something that's got a real power to it. So that you know you you kind of lock it into your body, if you like. So when ill will comes your way, you can hold your ground and not take it on. The problem of the mind is whatever it it touches, whatever touches it, it tends to be affected by it. It tends to be very permeable. Mm. So when we witness or experience the ill will, the negativities, the poisons, it easily infiltrates our own awareness. So we need this body to be strong, just to have our own grounds in not taking that on. Mm. So this is the value of samadhi, when you generate a dharma potency, you linger upon it, and you, st- you know, satur- you know, get it planted or embedded in, in your bodily consciousness. So it acts as a as a tremendous um, power to to resist negative influences. The other field I mentioned was the. Um, a karmic field, I called it. Perhaps that's it's a short way of putting it, but it's um, mm, the field of our inheritance. Mm, and I made a proviso there. This doesn't mean it's something that you personally generated. In fact, there's nothing that you personally generated. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there are, um, you know, certainly there are. Uh, uh, reactions that that arise called karma. We we do there is this responsive quality that we action occurs, mm. and yeah, we can stop those actions. We can change those actions. We can divert those actions. This is called karma. It means you're making selective choices out of which possibilities you follow. Your mind crystallizes around, follows, determines, that's karma. But we are karma potent. It means we've got a strong tendency while we're alive in this jitta has a very strong potential to generate uh, inclinations and actions. That's what it is to be alive, isn't it? A tremendous capacity to, to think this, think that, go here, go there, is volitional, we're volitionally very fertile. And so the sense is, well, yeah, be a bit more choosy about what you want to be really follow. Mm. That's that's karma, that's teaching on karma. Every action, everything you you determinedly do will definitely have its effects. The effects will be 
residues. And so this is our inheritance, residues of what we have followed. But often what has to be borne in mind that we also, because the mind is so affected by the, the uh, what it comes into with birth, which is the sensory paradigm, you know, with all its feelings and, and things that excite, attract, frighten, disgust, all that stuff going on. So that generates a tremendous uh, karmic interest to, you know, get the good stuff and get away from the bad stuff. So we start getting pretty frisky in there. Yeah. So this is one inheritance. Another inheritance is more complex, which is uh, the human inheritance. So the familial inheritance, our family, what we were approved of, disapproved of, loved, not loved, rejected, welcomed, blamed, adored, and all that stuff. So that's definitely had its shaping upon what we felt we could do, should do, and so on. And particularly um, generates a sense of how um, inclusive we are to our minds. Mm. How ashamed we are of ourselves. Is, is one of the big things that human conditioning comes up with. You know, with the, the at any level of it, then um, there's always a sense of you shouldn't be like that. That's not proper, that's naughty, that's disgusting, that's inadequate. So you get this, this is one of the inheritances we carry. The feeling of, you know, I'm not all allowed. Mm. So that, creates a kind of certain karmic inclination, doesn't it? It creates a certain pressure to that which is shameful shouldn't be here. That which, where did the shaming come from? <laughs> you know, who said it shouldn't be here? <laughs> but we took that on. So in our early years we are very porous, very permeable and we take on a certain uh, praise, blame, shaming um, effects. So then certain aspects of our experience shouldn't be like that. And so you've got this, this sets up a certain karmic tilt, doesn't it? Because right? it is that way. <laughs> Whether it should be or not, it is. And so sh shoulding it doesn't, shouldn't it, saying it shouldn't, doesn't do much apart from just add another layer of stuff on top of it, right? <laughs> and then you have the socio-cultural domain with all the messages that, again, we are flooded with and we get infiltrated with and we follow. So, or we are, uh, sets us up sets up our trajectory in life, sets up our values, sets up our meaning, sets up our possibilities of what we could do, should do, good person, worthwhile, useful, and so forth. So it sets up a huge karmic pressure to what we will select. We will tend to select what the socio-cultural human domain says is the good, the right, the purposeful. Yeah? And it will not include all of us, that's for sure. I'm, I'm when I say not all of us, I mean, won't include all of me. 
let alone all everybody in the room, won't it? Not all of me will be included in that. Only a certain fragment, probably. Uh, so this is compression into rather narrow, driven being gets formed out of that. Uh, with stuff that she or he should not have, but does have. Uh, that he or she shouldn't be, but somehow feels they are. So, what the person, personhood does with that is they either run a bit faster to get away from that or they dumb it, they numb it out. <laughs> you know, that which shouldn't be doesn't exist. That which, you know, so it's, it's sort of, we keep moving fast enough to not experience it or we close it down. And the effect of that has a bodily effect. We, the body gets used to act as the lock. You know? So by blocking the bodily energy, certain it means certain aspects of our humanity can be closed, such as our, say, our rage or our grief or something like that, powerful, so we can lock it. Mm, so, so this isn't something we necessarily can think doing, but it's, it's a psychic um, reflex that d definitely occurs. And I think you're probably you know, familiar with this understanding of blocked, shut down experiences and how the body's energy is, is, is co-opted into, into doing that. So, you know, sounds a bit depressing, doesn't it, really? <laughs> And yet, <laughs> there is the Dhamma. <laughs> and there's something in us, something there, the aspiration, of, which is so natural to the jitta, to the heart, it's there. It's still there. It's that, you know, that flower pushing up through the concrete, as it were, still there. And uh, because we're human, and it starts, how do you get out? How do you do yeah. And so here we are. <laughs> so it's in these fields and they interplay. But held like in that way, then it, it, you see that what, it, what the field, underst what that understanding does of, of dhammas, of factors and characteristic means, there's nobody really finally locked into any of this in any position. It can, that's, that's where it can seem, the lock seems to be me. And then we get into it, then it freezes our aspiration because I'm only this and what can I do? There you get the kind of, the real hammerlock. But when we begin to see, you know, the aspiration, the kindness, the dumber factors can arise at any, any moment. Uh, if we come out of our lock, mm -hmm. out of that self-view,
self-view, which is probably driven, goal-oriented, trying to make things happen, trying to be on top, trying to get away from what it feels is shameful or useless or waste of time or shouldn't be there. We just stop running and open to that with this quality, using the body to help us stay present and open and grounded and using loving acceptance to keep widening. What can we, you know, patiently bear with, breathe through? And this is the the way of um, dispelling the acquisitions. So they, they lose their potency. Stilling of sankharas. So, you know, the relinquishment of acquisitions that they dissolve. Liberation. So this is field. So just just to try to to place that there, any of that, if that mm, helps to to keep the topic in mind of what we're referring to, what I'm referring to, it comes down to again, just basic practice, um, you know, know, so this feeling because the program self is a very exclusive mechanism. It's been generated out of exclusivity to discount, to not notice, to to, only form around goal orientation and what it should be and to not open into into, um, the wholeness of being. So uh, basic practice is to open, use our aspiration vehicle and our energy to open and take an interest in the entire bodily experience as it's happening and generating goodwill and acceptance, breathing through and the body begins to respond. It starts to come out of its numbness or its trappedness and feel loved and accepted and welcomed back. And this is where some of these locks, you know, can begin to release and we get emotional shifts, which we weren't, you know. So if you release the body, the emotions shift, the psychology shift when the body shifts. And that's uh, that's a way to do it. I wouldn't say it's the only way, but it's certainly um, a way that it is available, and it it is very direct because it's you're dealing with something. You're not um, that there isn't a self involved with that. <laughs> and self is the problem. Self is is a result of the problem. There isn't a self involved with that. Certainly there's intentionality, there's care, there's sensitivity, there's integrity, there's receptivity. These are 
beautiful mental factors. That's there. There's certainly volition, interest, that's there. Mm. But um, these, are f- these factors can operate. Um, and we begin to operate, taking them beyond the boundaries of my personal uh, narrowness, my, my self, my goal orientation, my, uh, what I've limited myself to be. So we cultivate that in our body, and of course, in, in terms of retreat, we're cultivating that in, in the general. We're taking that, putting our attention into, you know, how we work, how we chant, you know, really everything handled with this quality of mindfulness and care and receptivity. Mm. So let's have some time to um, practice in silence this evening. but it can be very helpful to um, internally um, talk if you like or say what's happening Uh, what's happening where's my body is it safe Mm. what's the mood so have this curiosity with you know the being able to just send certain inquiries uh, and that which we notice. Mm, Feeling kind of murky or tangled. What's helpful here? Where's that? So we, even though we're silent uh, in terms of speech, we keep the mind awake and using this mental interest to track experience and to um, contemplate it. Mm. 